with Morgan streaking. She's chipping the goalkeeper! The pay disparity between the men and women is, is just too large and, and we want to continue to fight. Uh, the generation of players before us fought and now it's our job to, to keep on fighting. The pay cap for the women's Major League Soccer players is 11 times less than the pay cap for men's Major League Soccer. 11 times. Rapino gets across it. Listening to Give and Go with Rotas Wadera only on Girls Soccer Network. Hello and welcome. This is Give and Go on Family FM, recording inside Canal Street Studio. I am your host, Rotas Wadera, and thank you for making the choice to listen to us at Girls Soccer Network as always. And of course, for all the latest content, all the latest merch we got going on, there is so much in the world of women's soccer, go to www.girlssoccernetwork.com. Follow us on Instagram at Girls Soccer Network and our Twitter page as well. The handle is at Girls Soccer Net. So make sure uh, you follow us on all social media outlets. We have a Facebook page as well. So to stay up to date on everything, we've got it covered for you. Now, this is a huge episode. We got so much to unpack, so much to discuss. Right, The U.S. women's national team just began their 2019 campaign in Europe. We have that. We have a very, very special interview with the head coach of the North Carolina Courage, Paul Riley. They are just coming off winning their first NWSL championship as the Courage. And, man, it was an absolute honor and a privilege to get to speak with him. Just his, his overall philosophy and mindset towards coaching. Uh, it's easy to see why they have the success that they have. So more on that later on. Uh, there will be an NWSL draft recap. That wrapped up about, uh, about 10 days ago, right? So a lot to unpack, a lot to discuss, and huge news out of Australia. Some very, very shocking developments in terms of the Matildas national team along with the W League as well. So a lot to unpack, a lot to discuss. Let's get right into it. So the U.S. women's national team, uh, I think everyone had their eyes on this one when they took on France. France are the hosts. hosts. They are a top five team in the world, arguably top three. And, uh, you know, the French were mightily impressive and you know you can make all kinds of excuses you can say the United States did not have the starters that they were supposed to have they did not you know due to injury um, they were shaking off some rust and that France is in the middle of their domestic season so they were a little more sharp but at the same time for me I don't think they sh the United States should necessarily get a pass because they had approximately two weeks to prepare for a matchup like this and we knew that as always Jill Ellis will continue to uh, experiment and tinker with that lineup obviously in this scenario it did not work out when you go up against a French outfit that was so cohesive as a unit from back to front uh, and we thought Amel Madri would be a factor down the left sideline and that was absolutely not the case it was the exact opposite and they noticed that you know, whoever it was going to be on the right side of the field in that fullback position, they were going to attack that player. And in this case, it was Emily Fox just making her third cap. And, 
you know, playing Portugal and playing Scotland is a whole different ball game when you're taking on France. It is completely different, and and it showed. She had speed. She had, you know, she has that ability, but uh, experience clearly just got the better of her in this one. But really, just from the moment the game started, the United States just looked uncomfortable for whatever reason. When we leave home soil and go abroad, it's n- it's never pretty. It's never pretty. The conditions were, you know, it was a cold day. And, and we've seen it when Alex Morgan doesn't necessarily get service, it becomes a tough, tough day for the United States offense. When when you don't have a Heath in, and when you don't have Heath and Rapino creating on the wings, right, it's going to be that much tougher. Kristen Press, I thought, was great. She was the only bright spot for the United States uh, on that left sideline, and she was able to, to take on defenders, whip in a couple crosses. But overall, you know, Mallory Pugh, other than the late goal that she scored, wasn't able to, to really muster much. That You have to give credit to France. They, they fully, and you know, we wrote a preview about this on our website, so make sure you go check that out. But the game plan was to attack the United States. They attacked them from the jump and scored pretty early. Okay, they, that's that young striker up top, Diani, has... Uh, Plenty of skill, as we saw with the two goals that she scored, calm finishing, and was clearly eager, very eager to prove herself and and, and show off what she could do on, on a big stage. And so uh, there's really are two sides to this coin. Some will obviously say there's no need to panic. There is no need to be worried. And to some degree, that is, of course, true. The most popular uh, fun fact that was pointed out was that in 2015, when the United States began that year uh, leading up to the World Cup, they lost to France and ended up winning it all, right? So I think the hope is, okay, you know, we're going to be just fine. And naturally, you do not want to give away, um, you know, give away your hand just yet to the French. But with that being said, that has nothing to do with the level of effort and intensity that that you can play with as a team. And they just came out flat, honestly. I can, you know, we can all understand, you know, y- your touch may be off, your first touch, you- you're-, you're trying to get back up to speed, all of them, right? They're not playing over in Australia. They're not, you know, they're not in the NWSL right now. So they th- things definitely looked off. And, and it was a tough one to watch when they went down 3-0. I mean, you expected them to at least compete at a higher level. I am very, very surprised that McCall Zerboni did not come on. Uh, Sam Mewis also could have been in the game, right, to, to go with Lindsey Horan, uh, who clearly needed help in that midfield during that one because Morgan Bryan did no one any favors playing in that role. You know, they mentioned during the broadcast that you know, she's a two-time Herman Trophy winner at Virginia, okay? She is w- one of the more decorated college players to come in, and she was a bona fide starter for the for, for the United States. And unfortunately, a couple injuries have impacted her, her ability since coming back, and she just looks a step, you know, a st- you know, she's lost a step. And that's unfortunate because when you are in a midfield going up against two top 10 players in the world in Eugenie Le Sommer and Amandine Henri, you're going to be in trouble. And they bossed that game. The French absolutely bossed it from start to finish. There is no doubt about it. There is a lot to be tweaked. There, w- you know, there will have to be uh, some, you know, 
some changes to be made. But I think the the concern here for me is there was there did not seem to be a real game plan. There really didn't. It was kind of just, you know, it was almost as if Jill Ellis said, you know what, we are we believe we are better than them and just go out and play freely and play your game. Well, guess what? We could barely get the ball and, and control possession in France's half of the field. So, you know, it was, it was not great. Um, I think, again, we'll let the French have that one because it is still the first match of 2019. But, you know, it has to be better. It has to be better. And I can question all of the moves that were made, you know, the fact that a sub didn't come on until the 70th minute, the fact that just starting Emily Fox and Mo Bryan when, you, when the bench was so ridiculously deep, uh, none, of it, none of it makes sense to me. Um, but hopefully, right, and this brings me to our preview of their matchup against Spain, which is coming up this Tuesday. And uh, La Roja pose a little bit of a different... Uh, a different style of play that the U.S. will have to go up against. You know, they kind of mirror what the Spanish men do, right? It's a tiki-taka style. They're going to try and possess. They're going to try and pass the ball around, right? That's just uh, that country's philosophy when it comes to playing the game. And you'll see most of the players on Spain's team are either playing for Barcelona or Atletico Madrid, right? The, the, the big clubs in La Liga. So... It, it's going to be a, a tough test, and, and the the younger French teams, the under-20 and the under-17 teams, have really done well at international competitions. So as they start to get older, they're going to only get better. Um, but again, you can expect the United States to bounce back in this one. If they lose this game or, or really don't play well, uh, I think... Rumble, you know, the rumblings will start to, to pick up you know, just a little bit more a, as to... You know what's going on because again they had a full two-week camp in Portugal. Uh, I mean, does I, look? I it's hard for me to to really criticize, right? I'm not there in the you know in the meetings, in the practice sessions to see what's really going on. Who am I, right, to criticize? But at the same time, you would think two weeks is enough time to to get some sort of organization and plan together in order to to do so because even the defending which was shockingly just you know not as good as it as it's supposed to be Becky Sauerbrunn was really the only one and and you know there were so many times where the United States players were literally kicking the ball into each other right that just shows a lack of decisiveness and and a lack of under you know lack of understanding on where to go with the ball it's it's frantic defending which is so uncharacteristic and rare with this back line like you've never had to worry about it at all you know going with sonnet right back so we'll see if if crystal dunn you know it was great to see crystal dunn in the midfield and she didn't even get used she barely got the ball when she's with the courage she's literally picking the ball up in midfield and driving at defenders she's blowing by midfielders and then the second she gets past that second level good luck stopping her but that never happened and it never materialized against france so it's funny how sam mewis comes on and completely opened the game up carly lloyd came in opened the game up and it begs the question you know why wait so long i'm halftime seemed like changes could have been made and they waited until they were three nil down you know, or 2-0 or down, excuse me, before making the changes. So, 
you know, tough one. But again, they should be able to beat Spain. And I mean, that's the expectation every time, right? We say it, we've said it before. We'll say it again. Stars and stripes should beat Spain. And it's and it could be, you know, call me harsh, but there is a certain standard that I believe, you know, these American women hold themselves to in terms of being the best in the world. It isn't necessarily an arrogance, it's a confidence. And and they need to make sure that that is, that that is the case and they reassert their dominance on Tuesday because they have to make sure they pass, you know, they, they get it together in terms of connecting from back line to front line and getting Alex Morgan the service she needs in order to do what she does. All right, now, it is that time Paul Riley, we got a very, very, as I mentioned earlier, a awesome interview with the man himself. He was very gracious to join us via phone, and we made it happen. This was uh, weeks in the making, and we finally you know, were able to get him, and we are so grateful that he take, took the time to speak with us. And uh, here it is, guys. Enjoy. Uh, so first off, Paul, uh, congrats on your new contract to stay with the club. How excited are you to keep building what you're building with the courage? Yeah, I mean, obviously we've had him for this is my uh, fourth will be the fourth year with him. Uh, two in Carolina, one in Buffalo. Um, you know, and I think they've matured a lot. I think they've developed a lot. Most of the group is around 26 now, so I still think there's quite a few great years for them. Uh, but just to see the development of the core group has been amazing. Um, I think you look at the draft back in 2015 and you know, people want to talk about, oh, the draft doesn't count. But when you look at that draft and that's the core group that's still playing, that's the core group that's played in uh, three finals, um, two championships. So that core group and that uh, draft will be long remembered for me anyway. Um, and they've turned out to be great players and they're still developing. And, you know, we use the hashtag no finish line. And, you know, for these players, I talk about it every day and how important it is to to live to live at 24-7 if you want to be the best and I think uh, the accountability of the group is amazing and I think when players come in like we got Crystal done last year and we'll get obviously a couple of new players this year I think they just fit straight in and they know what the culture of the club is they know how important the environment is to everybody and uh, they just get on with it and I think that's a big part of you know our success and what we've been able to do is uh, you know everybody believes in the same thing the message is always the same and I think when you when you hear the players, even with the media, the message is the same, you know. And I think they believe in what they do. You know, we spent a lot of years, you know, talking about culture and growth and development, and not talking about results so much. And you know, played into I think for this group at least, you know, it, you know, when I first went there. I think they finished uh, eighth place in the league, and I spoke to the players and said it was really about making it fun again, making training something you wanted to go to every day. Uh, where you can express yourself, where you can you know train against yourself, where you can have incremental improvements and every day and see where you can go from there. And really, the first year we won it, we didn't really deserve to win. I think we weren't the best team, but you know at one point we called ourselves the Bad News Bears. You know we weren't really very talented, mm-hmm. and I think we've just developed and developed and developed. They put a lot in in the off seasons, and they put a lot into everything they do, whether it's practice, whether it's game preparation, and you know so for me to stay another two years and. You know, play with most of them and, and coach these guys for another two years will be great. They'll all be around 28 and they'll probably be in the mood for a new voice at that point anyway, you know. Um, but right now it's been an amazing run with them and you know, I just uh, hope we can continue to develop and continue to get better. There's no 
you can't honestly say you're going to win more championships and win more of that. I don't believe in that at all. I think as long as we keep improving, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be successful. Whether that means winning things, then that's a different thing. But to me, success is not based on what we're winning. It's based on how much we're getting better and how much we're improving and where the players are going. You know, we didn't have any players on the U.S. national team when we started out uh, three years ago. So to see how many are around and right on the cusp of, of playing and you know, we probably got eight or nine and I think that's a credit to what they put into the game and what they put into the club. And what would you say is more rewarding for you as a coach? Was it winning the championship or was it the process and the journey to get there? No, it's always the pathway for me and the roadmap. They're the two most important things and we talk about it a lot. We never talk about playoffs. We never talk about three points. We don't talk about championships ever. It's just not in our DNA and um you know, we talk all the time about the, the growth and the mission and how important the mission is. And, you know, when I first met the players, I told them, forget, forget making goals. Don't set any goals. Um, just think about the mission because you can control your mentality. You can control your work, your work rate. You can, you can control a lot of things, but you can't control goals. You can't say, I want to score 10 goals before mid-season and then only score one. And how are you going to feel at mid-season? You know, it was changing the mentality really with the players to say, you know, because the whole life they've been taught you must set goals, and we kind of just took that completely away from them and said, forget goals and think about the mission at hand. And and you know, the mission is every day. How do you get better today? And you're not training against. You know, I don't I don't put left back against left back. I put left back against themselves. I put left other left back against themselves. And the most important thing is that they improve in every category. And if you continue to do that, we'll be successful. And no, I think that the journey that we've been on for three years, you know, we took 15 of us from Buffalo to Carolina. I think we have 11 left coming into this year. So the core group basically has been, been around together for a long time. And you know, Every year is a challenge because every year is different. So I try to make every year different, you know, whether it's the mantra of the group or whether it's practice. or you know, We never repeat the same practice throughout the, throughout the season. It's just not something we do. Uh, so we're trying to keep it fresh and creative and an environment where players want to play every day and train every day and want to come to work every day. I don't want it to be something that's sterile and where people say, oh, I'm bored, you know, you know, we need something fresh. I don't want to do this anymore. I want them to just crave to come to practice and, and love being at practice and love wanting to get better. And, you know, yeah, you listen, you know, we had to be brave a couple of years ago because we went very good and now we're a little bit better than we were. And, you know, mm-hmm. I tell them the same thing. You still got to be brave. You still want to take risks and, I'm big for risks uh, because I think that's how you grow and getting people, you know, we push them out of their comfort zone. I don't think it's a matter of getting out of it. I think it's a matter of pushing them out of it. And when they get out of it, it's amazing what young players can do and how they can get better and, you know, what part of the game they can work on. Listen, it's a lot of work from every member of the staff. You know, and I say that one thing when I walked in the doors for the first day, I said, we service the staff. We service the players. Sorry, not the staff. We service the players. And the only thing we have to do while we're here with these players as service them, give them everything they can, give them all the tools they can, give them the available they can, and then it's up to them. And that's really what we try. We try every day, you know, to give them something special and, and you know, hopefully it can continue to, to help them out. And, you know, I think, you know, the players want people who care about them, who want to see them grow, want to see them become better people and better players. And I think we've got a great staff. We've been together for a while now. This is our third year down here together. Uh, I think it's a really key ingredient of what we do. Now, Heather O'Reilly was a late addition to the team last year. What do you anticipate uh, her role to be this upcoming season? Yeah, I mean, Heather's obviously will be a crucial part of the season. You know, we're going to lose probably six to eight players. 
for the majority of May, the majority of June, and probably a couple of weeks in July. So we will use uh, you know eight to ten, and and obviously they're all starters, you know. So from those, I think the, the key group becomes Heather O'Reilly, Mary Speck, uh, Liz Eddy, uh, probably our draft picks coming in, uh, Kaylee Kurtz. Uh, these guys will have to step up and step in the lineup, just like they did at the uh, ICC last year. Um, but you know, we we used last year as really a a preparation and a plan for this year in terms of all those players. And we did a lot of different fitness things with them last year to prepare them for this year. Uh, you know, we, we, we basically took a player like Mary Speck and we put them on the same workload as Sam Ewer. So if they didn't play a game at the weekend like Sam did, we would still work with them on the Friday before the game, Saturday before the game, Saturday after the game, and Sunday following the game to make sure that the workload for the week uh, was the same, and we kept the fitness levels up, which kept the competitiveness of the environment up. And, you know, it was a good plan, I think, of getting going into this year, knowing that those players would be gone. And, you know, we want players fully fit. And at the end of the year, we looked at the workload numbers, and Sam Ewers and Mary Speck were exactly even at the end of the year. And most of our reserves, what I would only even call them reserves, but the rest of the squad, were probably about 5% more than the starters. So I think, you know, we, we put a detailed plan together, we stuck to it, and and I think you're putting good stead for this year because obviously we're going to need those players. And Heather O'Reilly is a massive piece for us. She can play a lot of positions, and we're going to need her probably to play a lot of positions. We lose on entire midfield other than Sullivan, so that's where most of the changes will be. And, and Heather's going to, you know, she's been here a year now, so she's kind of settled in, and she brings a lot of great leadership uh, to the group. And uh, I think she loves it. She loves going to train every day. You know, she's still fired up. She's still got that face on her, and uh, I love that about her. She's a great competitor, and the one thing is, I think when you walk in our doors, you better be a competitor because there's a lot of competitors in that locker room, and they'll eat you up for dinner if you're not ready to play and you're not ready to push yourself. And I think the accountability in the group is, you know, one thing that's made the group really successful. You know, they're accountable; they they know what it takes, and you know, hard work trumps everything. You know, I don't expect stellar results, never have, never will, but I expect stellar effort. And if you give me that, I'm fine. And I think I think they all know that. And, that's the key to win. Now, the draft just wrapped up a little over a week ago. How would how happy are you with the players you were able to draft? Yeah, I mean, the draft, honestly, you'd have to ask me in three years if it was a mm-hmm. successful draft or not. Mm-hmm. In the 2015 draft, there's not one person that can look back and say, well, that wasn't very successful, was it, you know? Uh, you know, Charlie did the draft three years ago. Uh, here we are, you know, going into our fourth year or fifth year, really, for those, for those guys. And it was an amazing draft, you know, and what was accomplished in that year and the players that were brought in have uh, been you know, hugely successful. So we won't know this, how good this draft will be, I don't think, for another three years, you know. Although this group does have a World Cup year followed by an Olympic year. So they do have, you know, there, there will be contracts for these guys. I think there will be opportunities for these guys that maybe in a different yeah, like last year, they wouldn't have really got those opportunities, you know. So I'm excited to see them. I think we've got some really good players. And uh, the question is how, you know, how they settle into playing at the pro level. Uh, the one thing is when you've got McCall's and Boney and Sam Lewis and uh, Heather O'Reilly and Dabina and Crystal Dunn and, and these kind of Sullivan, uh, I can go on and on. And I've heard the Dow Camper, you know, your practice sessions are really good. <laughs> I mean, they're really competitive. They go at it. And I think you can only get better in that type of environment. And I think it'll be a this will be a quick learning experience. And they might a couple of times might have to throw them in at the deep end, but 
I know that you know Harbison and Pruitt particularly those two are raring to go and I think you know we took a wild card on Lauren Millett from Colorado College which got a lot of uh, a lot of uh, great soccer IQ a lot of invention in it uh, and I'm excited to see you know she's kind of typical of our midfielder so we're excited to get her and I think having Tillman right at the end I think it was a blessing because we didn't expect to get Tillman I would have taken Tillman maybe at, at 14 to be honest with you uh, but we gambled and we got away with it and you know, our first three came out, one, two, three, as we had them. So we're pleased with that. But I think you see Pura is, you know, a powerful, speedy forward. Um, that probably fits our profile for forward when you look at Lynn Williams and look at Jess McDonald and you look at, you know, Darren Jenkins. They fit that profile and Pruitt's another one that fits that profile. Harbison's another one that fits our profile for, for a fullback or a wide player. Can get forward, can go up and down. He's got a great engine, great deliverer of the ball, uh, speed, skill. Uh, you know, so I, I think we, you know, we look for certain players that fit the profiles, and they all those first three picks fit them. And uh, I think Tillman's a huge plus for us on the back end, and you know, I'm hoping all four of them get contracts day around and, and and do well through the World Cup stages. You know, because that's when we're going to need them. And you know, just like Ryan Williams and Morgan Reese from last year's draft, you know, they were fourth round picks last year, but both of them played against Lyon and PSG in the ICC. They played in games in Houston. They played in games in Utah. And these, these players play, and you know, these are fourth round picks. So they've been with us in years, so I expect, you know, for them that they'll be pushing up the, up the, uh, the roster list and, you know, getting a chance now to travel and getting a chance maybe to start now with everybody being away for the World Cup. Uh, but it certainly is a challenge getting the team ready from the World Cup with all these pieces going all over the place and you know, we'll be missing the core group, no question. But we'll see how it plays out. How important is it? How important do you feel it is for a player's for a player to have the right character and mindset as opposed to their athleticism on the pitch? Because it definitely seems like this team was built on having such a, a strong mental edge over all the other teams you guys play in the league. Yeah, I mean, the mindset's obviously one of the most important things. And again, I think the mindset comes back to the fact that it's not about winning. You know, people laugh at me when well, you're in a results oriented business, but I don't feel like I am, you know. I don't go about my business like we are. And I don't think the team believes that for a second that we are in a results oriented business. We're in a performance oriented business for us. And, and that's, our, that's our mindset. And, you know, we're open. We have a lot of discussions as a group, uh, very flexible with the staff, too. It's an open forum for people to speak and give their views. And I'm not one of those guys who's closed door. And, you know, we, I love to talk to players about football. I love to talk to them about the games that we play, the style that we play, uh, our identity. You know, all these things I think are important for a team. You know, we've built a really strong foundation, I think, of trust in the group. And I think when you trust, they, they trust me and I trust them and we trust the staff. I think when you have that, uh, you can you can say what you want to each other, you know. And it's taken in the best interest of the team. And I love getting feedback from the players when we do have video. It, it, you know, it's a great time. It's probably my favorite time of the week. It's an hour and a half we spend together and we talk about a lot of things. And, you know, I've seen vast improvements. You know, we played a box last year and we played a box the year before. Well, a box last year has developed and matured and uh, we've integrated so many different things into it that we never had the year before. And as they get better and better with it, we've integrated more into it and they want it more and want more and they want to get more sophisticated, you know. When we won the championship with Western New York, we, went, we were pretty direct and athletic and and then we became a better club. We lost to Portland in the final the next year and played much better football that year and really, really improved. Uh, and then this year, obviously, you know, again, I think more sophisticated. Uh, the team has evolved, there's no question. The group has evolved. 
uh, tactically, technically. Um, and now, you know, I think they're just so much better players than they used to be. But our mindset, we have a strong, strong mindset in the group, a strong locker room, um, you know, and that no finish line tag is, is true, you know, it never stops. You know, when we won the final, I said, you know, when you wake up tomorrow morning, you're still a professional football and you, and you still want to try and get better. And you, you can't just sit home for three months thinking how great you were and how great that was. And, and I said to them, you need to, you know, mount the high wire, walk in the clouds, and, and now it's going to be in the next challenge. And, you know, we want to challenge the records again. You know, those records of, that we had last year mean nothing now. And so everyone's going to try and challenge those records, and we will be one of nine teams challenging those records and uh, you know, challenging ourselves to be better. I mean, I don't think you can ever repeat the results of last year, but I think you can improve the performance of last year, you know, and that's what our goal is, is to improve our performances and um, show that, we've, you know, that we're better in more positions, we're better at certain things that we used to be, and I think the players are all into that. Now, you've been here in America for quite some time. You went to college here, played college soccer here. Could you explain what, what it is about America that's, that's really kept you here? And do you have any future intentions of maybe going back to England and coaching down the line? No, I mean, I love America. It's been a great country for me, obviously. I came in 82, uh, when I was a youngster. And, um, I'm a huge Liverpool fan. I'm a season ticket holder for Liverpool, so... My dog's names. My dogs are named after Liverpool players. My wedding songs. You'll never walk alone. Um, <laughs> That's great. So, I mean, me and my wife are both crazy Liverpool fans, and you know, when you got dogs named after the team and all the rest of it, I have mm-hmm. gates at my house that are called the Shankly Gates with the Liverpool logo on it and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, Liverpool through and through. But I love being here. I love living in the states. Uh, it's a great lifestyle. And, uh, I enjoy coaching, obviously, here. Just sometimes I'd have to be international. Coaching on the international stage would be uh, a next step for us, and which I'd love to do eventually, you know, uh, once we finish with the courage and stuff. But uh, we have such a you know, great group and great fan base and great management and ownership. To, you know, it's a special, special club, and hopefully we can go on to bigger and better things. And we enjoyed the ICC last year. I want to get involved in that, too, again this year. And, um I think it's a wonderful experience for the players to play into, against international teams. They get better tactically. They, they they understand things a little bit better. And you know, I think it was really big for us at the time it came last year. I think it was a big push on for us. But I love coaching here, um, and I continue. I run a club in New York, so we'll continue to run the club in New York. And um, you know, I've lived in Carolina eight months and up in New York four months, and I think it's good balance. But I do miss curry and chips from back home. I do miss the English chocolate, and I do miss watching Liverpool play. But when I'm over here, I love apple martinis. I love uh, my bulldogs, and uh, I'm a great wife and a great life. And yeah, I mean, I, I could never see me living in a different country. I could see me visiting the country or, or being involved with another national team in a different country. But I don't think I could actually live anywhere else than here. All right, last question, Coach. Uh, for me, the courage are probably one of the best teams ever assembled in sports. And you're still getting better as a group, as you've mentioned. How do you manage the expectations now that you guys are champions? And you've obviously mentioned, uh, you know, taking it one day at a time and you constantly want to get better. Do you guys still want to maintain that underdog mindset to drive your team? Yeah, I think that's just something that's ingrained in them. And, you know, people laugh at that, you know, oh, you, you can't be the underdogs anymore. You know, in the final, I said, well, maybe we're not the underdogs anymore. But I can't stop that mentality. You know, I can't 
prevent them from feeling like that because uh, I think no matter how, what you are and what you do, people still think, oh, well, if we lose the game, they'll be like, oh, well, they're not as good as last year, you know? <laughs> and so they'll say that. But, you know, we might be better than last year. It's just that the other teams might be a little bit better too. So that's why you can never base how good a team is, I don't think, on the results. But it is a really, really good team. And I think the additional players that we've added, like Davina, like Sullivan, like Crystal Dunn, as we've gone along, have really helped. Merritt Mateus last year, right back. Now, everyone thought we were crazy when we traded, you know, Hatchie and Taylor Smith for Crystal Dunn, but it worked out great for us, you know. We felt that, you know, I felt after the final that we were just that one big player short, you know, and Crystal Dunn provided us that. And, and obviously, we were a little bit better this year than last year. But, you know, I get a kick out of the fact that I see Jess McDonald getting better at, you know, 32, 33, and McCall's and Boney getting better at 32, 33. Mm-hmm. Abby Erzik getting better at 30. And it's, I mean, it's amazing to see that they've still got so much in them. And uh, people wrote them off a couple of years ago, and here they are. On the verge of the national team, uh, it's just amazing for me. So that that's the most important part. And, you know, we'll keep going, and you know, it, it will we'll never repeat last last year. I don't think that is ever in our mindset to re- try and repeat that. Uh, but we'll do the best we can, and we'll try and improve. And you know, we have a lot of young players again coming in, and I'm excited to see them start to push some of the older players to you know to higher standards. And um, you know, it's just a it's a it's just a great place. It's a great feeling uh, at the club and within the team structure. And, you know, our mantra is grit today, growth tomorrow last year. And, you know, we'll follow that one through too. You know, they'll make the new mantra for this year and we'll follow it through. But uh, I look forward to something fresh, you know, something different. And, you know, I don't, my preseason talk will be different. My, you know, I won't mention last year, you know, and you know, I wrote something to the players the other day that, you know, the confetti is gone and the champagne has dried up. And the records are now in, in the books. But that doesn't mean anything, right? You've got to come back and do it yeah. all again. And, and that's the great part about it. That that whole process and that whole roadmap. You know, actually the roadmap worked out perfectly, but many times it doesn't. Most of the time it doesn't. So I think the challenge of this year is what will the roadmap be and how will it work out in the end? Will it be something you look back and say, wow, that was even better than the year before. Hey, the results might not be as good, but the challenge of a World Cup and missing eight to ten players so the majority of half the season, it's going to be a huge challenge on the players who are here. And I'm excited to see what they do uh, and how they, they maintain their, you know, their competitiveness and, and, and an environment when, when the other players are gone. And I think that might be a, even a bigger thing to, to look back on after this year and say, wow, man, to be able to do some of these things with this with this group and how much Morgan Reed has improved and Mary Speck has improved. And you know, maybe we're not talking about Crystal Dunn next year and you know, and uh, Sam Lewis, maybe we're talking about Mary Speck and uh, Lynn Williams again and, you know, uh, Jay Hinkle and Merritt Mateus instead. So we'll see how it all plays out, but there's still a great buzz in the in the place. You know, I sent him a letter, an introduction letter the other day and got great feedback and I think a lot of new players, they've, they've heard lots of good things about the culture inside the club and it's a weird culture that's probably thrown around way too much these days, but I think that locker room, it's like a bastion, you know, and you you have to have a locker room that is that is everything. That's where it is. That's where you win and lose is in the locker room. It's not on the field. And our locker room is solid, and I think that keeps us in good stead for what will be a tough year. There's no question. Again, that was Paul Riley, the head coach of the North Carolina Courage. What, uh, what a what a coach. I mean, seriously, the point. I think that stood out to me in that interview the most was 
just their overall mindset, right? The hashtag no finish line and just this idea that we're not chasing winning. We're not chasing success. We're chasing how can we become better players each and every day. And how we said people think we're crazy for, you know, for you're in a results-driven business. If you don't win, you get fired, right? That's just how it is in all sports, especially here in America. If you don't win, you get fired. And he has been the exact opposite. And, and this, he talked about the 2015 draft being second to none. And who can argue with that, right? Uh, but overall, he said this is his fourth look at them. He, he d- tries to mix it up and does something different each and every year. So he's, he just sees and thinks about the game differently. And that is why they're having the success they're having. And again, good luck stopping um, them this year, anyone in the NWSL, because it's not going to happen. Not in my mind. I don't see anyone, even through the draft, there's no one that can close the gap on them right now. And we'll see who they resign. We'll see how their draft picks do. It is a World Cup year. They will likely, the Courage will lose, you know, they'll lose players like Dabinia over the summer. They'll lose, you know, probably Sam Mewis. We'll see if McCall Zerboni and J-Mac get calls up for the World Cup. Uh, that's a big chunk of their team. But again, that's what they relish, the courage. They they want to show off their depth and show that they can develop players to fill in and do their jobs no matter who it is. And that's what makes them so great. They don't, you know, they're prepared for uh, losing their star power. So that makes it a very interesting uh, interview. So again, we were so grateful that we were able to get him on the show. And now a word from... One of our sponsors, Striker Elite. Based out of Las Vegas, Nevada, Striker Elite develops confident, creative, and elite players in soccer and for life. After instructing players seeking to play at the highest level, Coach George Nahorski quickly recognized the need for an environment that helped these players excel at a rapid pace. That's where the creation of an academy that would specialize in training soccer players was born. Focusing on player development, the curriculum at Striker Elite emphasizes technical skills, tactical awareness, mental toughness, character, leadership, and confidence. They currently have U.S. Development Academy, ECNL, ODP, and college players at Striker Elite, as well as aspiring players seeking to play professionally. Striker Elite trainers are qualified and have extensive playing and coaching experience, Whether you're a club player looking to take your game to the next level and become a college or professional player, they will help you fulfill your goals. They provide elite one-on-one training, partner training, small group and team training, plus elite camps. For more information, go to www.strikerelitesoccer.com or, you know, check them out on social media, Striker Elite Soccer. They have been getting plenty of traction. I mentioned this uh, on last week's show, sorry, two weeks ago. Uh, that Carly Lloyd did a camp there. And I mean, that, that's just huge. I mean, that's so awesome that, that she was able to, to team up with them and, and do some great work there. Uh, they've been getting people from all over the place, young girls who I believe have even flown in from Hawaii uh, to come be a part of the program in Vegas. So it's not just in Vegas, people. Like, if you're out there on the West Coast and you want to, you know, up your game and go train, I highly, su- I highly suggest you go check out Striker Elite. Okay, now, 
the NWSL draft. What a busy, busy draft it was. And, man, I don't understand what the deal is with some of these teams not knowing what they have. There were some absolutely outrageous trades that went down. And, and it, this isn't the first time this has happened. Teams trading away an arm and a leg to get a player that they may or may not want. I mean, hopefully this sets precedent and, and teams can realize how much they're truly giving up. But let's break it down here for you. Right? The Chicago Red Stars had one of the better drafts of any team, right? Obviously getting the number one pick, being able to take Tierna Davidson, that is a huge, huge pick for them. We all know how solid their midfield is, I believe, last week. Uh, I got a correction, right? I said Sofia Huerta was still in their midfield. That unfortunately is not the case anymore. She's in Houston, so that was a a slip up on my part. But still, complete midfield. You obviously have Sam Kern, Yuki Nagasato playing so well. It really was the back line um, where there will be question marks going into the season. It was, that was probably the only thing stopping them. You know, they're one or two players away from really becoming championship contenders. They played. Again, they played the Courage so close in the playoffs, but were unable to, to really muster. Uh, you know, they came so close, but just could not get it done. And so they're getting closer and closer. Um, they gave up the sixth pick to get Katie Johnson, who is a solid, solid striker, Mexican international player, one of their goal, premier goal scorers. So that was a good move. Maria Sanchez. Uh, out of Santa Clara, uh, a great college player playing in a great conference. Um, she'll provide um, some depth potentially in a, uh, you know, in a World Cup year. Bianca St. George's out of West Virginia. Again, captain, defender. Another great, great pick. Uh, you know, anytime you can get a solid college player where you know what you're going to get out of them, that's huge for the team. April Bakken, another name we mentioned out of Minnesota, one of the best strikers in the Big Ten. So, you know, they really went after and made sure they addressed all of, you know, they really went after every single position. We did mention Kayla Sharples, right, out of Northwestern. She did end up staying in state, so that prediction was was uh, was correct. And then Jenna Chesney out of Loyola, Chicago as well, also keeping it in state. So an opportunity for those players to potentially in a, ro a roster spot and a contract. Chicago overall cannot complain. A great draft. Uh, the Washington Spirit, you could say if they had gotten some of these picks and players um, at the value that they were supposed to get them, you'd say it was a home run draft. But they gave up so much. So much. How... I'm, I'm, I was honestly shocked when I saw this trade. I mean, you trade up to get Jordan DiBiase, and I get it. You know, she's going to be a very, very good player. And you were obviously thinking about that potential connection with Andy Sullivan. A, you know, that's a combination that won a national championship with Katarina Macario as well two years ago. So, you know, I can understand. But when you give up your backup goalkeeper in Didi Hiracic, you give up Caprice Didasco, who has probably played like every single minute for the Spirit. She is a huge player on that team. That girl plays hard all the time, gives everything she has for her team, doesn't get enough love, doesn't get enough respect, and you just ship her off. And then Estelle Johnson as well, who is a, another fringe starter for them. So you gave up three really you know, important players 
for Jordan DiBiase. So you better hope that this pick works out. I mean, you mortgaged a lot away to, to make sure that you got your, the midfielder that you wanted. Um, to also get Sam Staub, I think that's really good. Um, playing in the ACC, one of the best defenders, someone who you could probably plug and play right away. And, and to, to be a, that's what you're anticipating if you're looking to pick her that early. And then you got the, uh, a similar situation with Tegan McGrady, who is obviously one of the stories of the draft with what she's had to overcome. And uh, her speech at the podium was, was really great as well. And then you also get Dorian Bailey. So I like that pick as well. I really like that pick. Dorian Bailey was bossing it in that Final Four game against Georgetown. She looked mighty impressive uh, getting past that level, that second level of Georgetown's midfield and, and really putting pressure on them the whole game. She's shown uh, that she's more than ready for the pro level. So I like that pick. And then Bailey Feist out of Wake Forest. So they, you know, again, like I said, if, you know, other than that, trade where you gave up three key players you know it, it still is a pretty good draft for Washington as they are still in rebuild mode and they have this young core of talent to really build on the North Carolina Courage we talked about uh, you know Paul Riley in his interview and in that interview he he will happily you know he happily mentioned going through each one of his picks and they are um, and it just totally makes sense they have their system in place in terms of personnel and the types of players they want to draft, and 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 that is exactly who they got. Lauren Millett out of Colorado College, an intellectual midfielder. Sounds very, very familiar with players like Dabinia and Sam Ewis and Crystal Dunn in that midfield. Uh, so that was a great selection. Happy about that. To get Leah Pruitt, one of the best scorers in the Pac-12, that's a, that's a great pick to get her there. But really the surprise was the fact that uh, Paul Riley mentioned how happy he was to get Casey Tillman with the last pick of the draft when he said he would have taken her at, at, at you know number 15 overall, which is really saying something. And so we'll see if all, all of them will also get opportunities again in a World Cup year to, to get a roster spot. So we'll see. Now, man, oh, man, do the Orlando Pride have issues. Man, oh, man, do they have issues. I can't believe... Uh, they're clearly just going all in on Alex Morgan and Marta, right? I mean, are we going to see Sidney LaRue play again in, anytime soon? Nope. Uh, because she is, I believe, pregnant again, so we're not going to see her. So who are you going to rely on? Yes, you have Alana Kennedy. Yes, you have Danny Weatherholt. But is that enough? Do you believe you have enough depth to be able to survive? Again, it's a World Cup year, people. What are you going to do when Morgan and Marta go and Alana Kennedy goes? That team is going to be, yeesh, are they, in, are they in rebuilding mode? That's what I don't understand. You built this team to try and compete now. You have a great stadium. You have a great fan base. Give them what they deserve. It's what they deserve. And, and I don't know what the organization is doing. Erin Greening out of uh, the University of Colorado Boulder also in the Pac-12, a player that wasn't really on anyone's radar at all, okay? And players like Kayla Sharples and Maddie Nolf were both on the board. So we'll see, you know, how this pick works out. They, they must have seen something in her. And also Marissa Vigiano out of Northwestern. So we'll see how this, how this works out in terms of it's crazy to me how 
some teams seem to be getting it completely right in terms of how they evaluate and look at and scout talent, and others just almost don't seem to care. It's shocking to me. Like this is the draft is how you make your team better, unless you unless you are able to really recruit and sign international stars. You're this is how you get better. This is how the courage literally built this team, right? They did get the right free agent acquisitions periodically, but the core of this team was built in the draft, and there is no denying that. So the pride, um, Mark Skinner is the new head coach there, uh, being a part of Birmingham City's academy in England. He's got a big, big job ahead of him. So we'll see how it pans out for Mr. Mark Skinner. It will be tough. It will be tough. For your first year, all your stars are going to go around the summertime. We'll see the kind of position that the pride will be in. On the flip side, right, the Portland Thorns proving once again why they are such a well-run organization. They, you know, they traded down. They, they didn't necessarily have a tremendous amount of picks. They only had one, in fact. And they got Emily Ogle out of Penn State, someone who in, in a lot of people's eyes had a first or second round grade, and you got her in the third round. Uh, that's a huge, huge pick for them. That's what it's about, really, right? When you can find those gems, fall right into your lap, and, and have the ability to just stay patient and wait and wait and let everyone take who they want to take, and then you look like a genius for taking them. So the Thorns uh, should be very pleased that they got a really, really great college player and Emily Ogle, someone who, again, should be able to contribute on this team. I like the Houston Dash and their draft a lot, a lot. But what's shocking to me, again, this goes back to development, right, and scouting of overall talent and evaluating talent. James Clarkson was shopping Sofia Huerta? Like, what are we doing? What is, this woman is a nationally capped player. And you're looking to shop her for who exactly? Who are you going to get in a trade that is better than her? What pick are you going to get that is going to be better than her? I'm dying to know, Mr. Clarkson. I am honestly really dying to know who you could have gotten. I get it. She is a high-value type player, and you're thinking you could get a lot. I mean, but that is such a, the second she got there in Houston last year, everything opened up offensively. The Ojai to Rachel Daly connection flourished. Rachel Daly had her best, the best season of her career. Huerta does so much in that midfield. You cannot afford to trade that piece. You got to realize what you have here. Man, like, what are you doing? I couldn't, I was shocked. And, and based on the draft picks that they got, they still got great draft picks, but that was, this was what they were anticipating. They're anticipating Huerta to leave. Unless Huerta herself is, is the one who wants, who wants out, which, would be unfortunate, but it's, you know, it's not the worst situation there with the, with the talent that they have. Ali Prisak, who I talked about two weeks ago, solid prospect, right? Solid, solid. Again, you can plug and play her at the back. She's definitely going to be a starter for you. CC Kaiser, one of the best players in the ACC, uh, sorry, SEC, out of Ole Miss. Uh, a great midfielder, carried that team. And then Betsy Brandon out of Virginia. So you got you. They definitely strengthen their midfield. You also have the South Africans still there. Interesting to see if they will still be there uh, in the future. But James Clarkson, man, you got some interesting decisions to make with how you're going to make your system work. And then Jasmine Jackman, uh, another player who we really liked out of Oregon. Um, 
someone, again, playing in the Pac-12 could be a fringe starter for this team that you can play at the back. And, again, that, that's really been the Dash's issue, right? It's been defense. Uh, Grace Cutler out of West Virginia, um, again, another top 25 team. So you, a common theme here was all of the big-name players got drafted, right? There, wasn't, there weren't, other than Lauren Millett out of Colorado College, it definitely seemed like, and maybe Jenna Chesney out of Loyola Chicago, mostly everyone in this draft was, was from a big-time school playing major college soccer in one of the conferences. Uh, the Utah Royals uh, didn't make too big of a splash, but you really, really have to appreciate uh, what they're trying to do in terms of maintaining their identity, right? They are clearly based on the draft picks they got. They're going after players who are tough, rugged, and can do the dirty work and defend. That's what they were last year. Defense was their calling card, and they clearly believe, right, this worked when they were previously FC Kansas City. If you can defend, then you can allow your your key strikers to get out, go out there, score a goal or two, and seal the deal and win the game. One, one nil, two nil, right? They have Becky Sauerbrunn for a reason, right? And then you have Amy Rodriguez now with Kristen Press. So, um, and, and Gunny, and you want to, you know, Gunnestadter was great uh, for them in terms of creating chances. So they have the players there. They really solidified themselves defensively with Alex Kimball, who uh, most notably um, you might remember for pretty much breaking Tierna Davidson's ankle. And, of course, luckily, Davidson made her first appearance since that injury uh, in the match against France. She came on as a sub, but Alex Kimball, you remember her for that. But, again, obviously a good enough player to get drafted. Maddie Nolf, who we mentioned earlier, who uh, I believe – the pride passed on another player out of Penn State you know what you're going to get from those Penn State players man defense is their identity at the Nittany Lion program and so you that's what you're going to get and then Michelle Mamone out of I believe Pepperdine Haley Harbison's teammate who um, went to the courage so they have you know a solid solid group to, to work with now, I, I saved the best for last. I wanted to save Sky Blue because there's a lot going on with that situation in terms of the infrastructure of the club and how they're going uh, to, to go from here. Uh, they went all out with the picks they had, right? Haley Mace will get to in a bit. Obviously, she signed with Melbourne City and scored in her first game, which is huge, right? She has yet to sign with Sky Blue. But other than that, right? Also, Julia Ashley, a Jersey native, she also said, you know, I, I'm from Jersey. I would love to play for the team, but she's getting looks from elsewhere. Again, we'll get to that. But Paige Monahan, Julie James, and Kyra Carusa, that trio of picks that they got uh, with the level of experience and success that they've had at the college level, th those are three players who are arguably, you know, the first or second best player on their team what they do for their teams is is vital and to have them all there in that group uh together i think speaks volumes they they got a player out of rutgers who will be playing on the same field as she did in college right at your field kenny wright who will get an opportunity to make the roster and the only goalkeeper drafted was kaylin marquise out of the university of florida last pick was sabrina flores who uh again playing in the acc with notre dame played you know, 
was really inconsistent, but showed flashes of how good she can be. So we'll see if she also has an opportunity to make the roster. So other than this Haley May saga, the, the Sky Blue had a, had a solid draft as well. Now, as I mentioned, this, you know, Haley Mace, Julia Ashley, and Alana Cook as well, okay? Alana Cook out of Stanford, the Pac-12 Defender of the Year, uh, said she wanted to play in a European club and to play against the best teams in the world, and she's going to do that as she is signed with PSG. So you're looking at Champions League football, and that's a big deal. And, again, this is not the first time that players have foregone the opportunity to play in the NWSL, to go to Europe, and uh, it's, you know, it's unfortunate in terms of we want all of the best players. You know, I'm being a little greedy here. We, I want all the best players here in America. It's the only way that the league is going to grow. But at the same time, for her to get that experience out there in France, that's priceless, what you're going to get out there. So you can't complain. That's her choice. We're very happy for her that she's going to be in Paris. She's, you know, it's, it's a great situation out there. You're going to be competing with Lyon for the league title. Uh, year in and year out so we'll see how long she stays there for it and it's a great situation for you to start off your career coming out of college now uh Haley mace as i mentioned signed with melbourne city just a few days ago the three-time champs uh, she still could come back and join late on in the season but it would be huge um for sky blue if they couldn't get her back for any of it Right, the the W League I believe has two weeks left before the playoffs, and and Melbourne is is doing everything they can to to sneak their way in and go for four straight titles, but uh, it's not looking too great for them. So there is entirely the possibility that Mace does come back, and this is what GM Tony Novo had to say when asked about Mace. Uh, you know, he said again, there's challenges with Mace, but I think she will be here once we talk to her and get past some of the negativity that we've had in the past. There's a lot of things that we have to overcome and a lot of things that we're going to continue to improve. Housing, training facilities, all the above. And I think those are the concerns that anybody has, and we're trying to eliminate those concerns. Again, easier said than done. He's made promises and – well, not promises, but he said, yeah, we you know, give us 30 days, a little more than that, before we can provide updates on, on improving that infrastructure. So you know, at least until then, I don't see Haley Mays coming to, coming to New Jersey anytime soon down to Piscataway, and of course, Julia Ashley getting looks from Sweden, Germany, and France. So she's probably, you know, could be waiting on Mace's decision. I think if Mace decides to stay abroad, then there's a decent chance that Julia Ashley will go abroad as well. So that is an interesting situation for Sky Blue. If your top two picks out of an amazing draft don't end up showing up because of your infrastructure issues, that's really unfortunate. And again, the, sc the fan base is a very proud fan base. You know, you have Cloud9, the fan club, and it's, it's a proud, proud, you know, organization, whether you like it or not. Soccer is a part of Jersey. It's always going to be a part of Jersey, man. That's where the, some of the best players, uh, you know, of this country have come out of Jersey. So they, you know, it's a soccer-crazy country. Sorry, soccer crazy, soccer crazy state. It's a soccer crazy state, and you, they, they deserve better as a fan base. So hopefully, uh, you know this organization can get it sorted because um, they drafted well, and they're obviously preparing for uh, an influx 
of players to potentially leave, right? Players like Rocky Rodriguez, Sarah Killian could be out the door because they are fed up with the current situation as well. So we'll see how it all shakes out heading into the season. But March 4th, I believe, is the preseason. So we've still got a little bit of time uh, for Sky Blue to get all of that sorted out. Now we move to Australia, and the W League season is absolutely heating up. Two weeks left to go in the regular season, and after Sam Kerr and Perth Glory were sitting at the top of the table, uh, they are down in fourth now, and all of a sudden, they are in a much tighter race than anyone would have expected. Uh, this is going to be a very, very interesting finish. The Melbourne Victory are currently top with 20 points, Sydney Women FC continue to look great. Lisa Devana and Caitlin Ford have been teaming up to score some brilliant, brilliant goals. The Brisbane Roar with Yuki Nagasato mentoring all those younger players. Alira Toby continues to impress as a youngster. They have a nice core there. Then you have Perth in fourth, and Adelaide United are one point behind Perth. But they shockingly lost to... The team that's bottom of the table, the Western Sydney Wanderers, who got their first win of the season, okay? So a lot going on at, at this point. We obviously mentioned Melbourne City sitting with 13 points, so they technically aren't out of the race yet either. But what's great about this W League is nine teams and the parity is at an all-time high. You watch Newcastle, the Newcastle Jets, who are second to bottom, defeat Perth and then Western Sydney beats Adelaide. So teams, you know, if you're trying to be a playoff team and you're trying to cement your spot in in the playoffs, right? The top 4 obviously make it. You got to beat those teams, but it's great to see that they're going to, you know, those lower level clubs, those th you know, Canberra Canberra United is also in 7th on 13 points, so they're still in it. You know, Newcastle is is on 10. But it's great to see those clubs continue to fight and continue to scrap uh, no matter what till the end. They're, whether they're looking to play spoiler or whether they're still looking to keep their title hopes alive, it's great to see. And that's what makes this league so competitive and so great. But there is even bigger news out of Australia. And this is a, a uh, I mean, this is a shocking one, all right? Just this past weekend... Alan Stacic has been relieved of his duties as the manager of the Matildas again months before the World Cup. This has happened before on both the men's side and the women's side for Australia. Stacic is the fourth coach to be sacked leading up to a major competition like the World Cup. Again, absolutely crazy for this to be happening at, at, this, at this stage. Uh... There's a lot of issues going on clearly between the Federation and the players. A lack of communication has clearly strained the relationship because it was a shock. It was an absolute shock for all the players to be dealing uh, with the news. I mean, everyone chimed in. Sam Kerr was one of the last to chime in. We'll get to that in a second. But this is kind of what we'd heard in, in specific articles regarding the issue as to why he was sacked. Rumors had been circling of disharmony between some of the players and the coaching staff. 
Chachit said he would not comment until after a press conference from the FFA, as did Australian football boss Gallup. A number of internal reports have recently been tabled reviewing the culture of the FFA, its staff, and teams. Much of that has to do with the development of a toxic culture within the team. Following the PFA's review, a damning report undertaken by Our Watch, an organization tackling abuse and violence of women, alleged incidents that bordered on harassment. It is understood it flagged cases of bullying, intimidation, retribution, and even body shaming towards some younger players and even suggestions of flippant homophobic insults regularly made by unspecified staff members. So that is a huge, huge story. And if that is, if that happens to be true, the way that it is worded, it does not sound good. And again, it doesn't seem like they're talking about Alan Stadic himself making those comments, but more so his, his staff members making those comments. And if it happened on his watch, then obviously the Federation had no choice but to act. However, however, the players weighed in on this, and it was the exact opposite reaction that you were expecting. It, they, made, they really made it seem like absolutely nothing was wrong, and they're all just shocked because they understand what this man has done for Aussie football, for the Matildas. Uh, Lisa Devana tweeted, the lies, the lies. I mean, that's a subtweet of all subtweet. Right. She posted this gif of the lot. I mean, it does not get, you know, the relationship does not get more strained than that. It's very, very surprising to see that happen, to see this level of disconnect between, uh, you know, such talented players. And then everyone was kind of waiting to see what Sam Kerr had to say. She tweeted this out. I have not been gagged by the FFA. I have not commented because I wasn't ready to comment while I am still shocked and upset. My trust was in Stodge, the coach, to lead us to the World Cup final, and I believe he was the best coach for that. Thankful for everything he has done for me and for the team. So very surprising news to see this. And again, this is something I feel, I honestly feel bad because just for the Matildas, because this is a, a group that we have talked about many times as a potential dark horse to win the whole tournament with the level of talent that they have, the level of depth that they have, but you can't get it done when you don't have a level of continuity. You have to have continuity in the coaching staff if you want to have any success, and if the Australians are clearly satisfied with making it to the quarterfinal of every World Cup, then fine. But it's unfortunate that this is going on in the way that it is. Not again, right? You can't be considered a top, top footballing nation and keep sacking your coach you know, months before the World Cup. It just simply cannot happen. And so that is what is so surprising about all this. It is a huge, huge decision for this team. And we'll see if they'll be able to regroup. And who will they bring in that has the qualifications and the ability to bring this group and rally them around each other and, and make, make, make sure that nothing, you know, that they pick up right where they left off because there are still major matches to be played. So this is a huge, huge story uh, out of Australia. And, and Stajic has been sacked, so that's, that's big. And uh, we'll see if how the Matildas fare in 2019 going into the World Cup. Now, in slightly better news, okay, Haley Rasso is back. She made her uh, season debut for the Brisbane Roar this past weekend, and 
uh, it was just such a great, great moment and, and a great thing to see considering the broken back injury she suffered with the Portland Thorns last season. And she, and you can go check this out on her own social media account. She posted uh, on YouTube kind of a, a slideshow of, of her recovery from the injury to getting back to, to full strength. And I mean, it truly is inspiring to see where she was you know, barely able to move, barely able to do basic activities, to walking again, you know, to being in a wheelchair, to being able to run and, and then sprint and get back to where she's at now, right? Her pace is, is, is what part of her calling card and what makes her so good. And so it was just so great to see her ability um, to just bounce back, stay mentally strong, and, and we're very, very proud of her, what she was able to do. And now a word from our second sponsor, Topical Gear. Topical Gear was formed in 2011 by a team of professionals from the orthopedic sports medicine field. Collectively, this team has over two centuries of knowledge in athletic training, biomechanics, product development, manufacturing, orthopedic sports medicine, arthroscopy, and the pioneering of products in the sports medicine market. Their team is constantly on the field or in the gym, getting feedback directly from parents, players, coaches, and athletic trainers as part of their continuing effort to develop products that help increase female athletes' performance while keeping them healthy. All of their products are backed by professional published research and tested by real athletes at both the high school and college level. All you soccer players, parents, and other athletes out there, go to www.compressioninmotion.com and check out the T25 knee along with other shoulder and ankle products. Again, we move to the social media and lifestyle portion of the show. Uh, we've got a lot of great content on the site right now in terms of articles uh, that you have to check out. Tudela FC is a club based out in LA that is doing things a little bit differently and is really blazing their own trail. This is directly from the article. Tudela FC operates on a hybrid model using a slide scale. Players pay what they can based on what their families make. It is this initiative in tandem with others that has allowed TFC to flourish. Again, based in LA, Jacob, uh, the man who runs the club, has refused offers to merge with one of the several mega clubs in the area. It is, it is a decision that has meant a loss of money in his own pocket and status, coveted DA and ECNL labels. However, in turn, it has meant a concerted investment in player development. Hope Solo is also involved with the club, so like this is a big deal uh, in terms of you know, what LA is able to do um, just in, in that scene and what's going on there. So this is uh, a really important, uh, really important endeavor going on, and it could potentially change how club soccer is is looked at and, and worked on so that it's it's available to everyone and it really that's what this game is it should be avail available for everyone in other news alex morgan uh as a, again as a surprise to no one was named concacaf player of the year for the third year in a row uh with the again the goal scoring record the run that she was on you can't can't complain uh, with with that award, and and that uh, you can't, you really can't complain. Now, one of the things you really have to go check out on our site. This is really really awesome. This is really really cool. Uh, Larissa Footy Girl Dorjan 
Um, we she's our January Passion Player of the Month, and she is killing it. I mean, she's you know still so young, but still at just eleven years old is is on her way to being an amazing not just you know potentially player down the line but she she's clearly got a knack for being on camera and and being a trainer and helping people out with skills again this is directly from our passion player of the month article larissa footy girl dorajan absolutely loves football said her mummy of four children the young footballer began playing three years ago when she was eight years old she played with the weatherby girls and the rothwell juniors she currently plays with their school, St. John Fisher in Harrogate, England, training two times a week plus one time a week outside of school, and she still succeeds in the classroom. We believe as a family, sports also helps with their academics, concentration, concentration and confidence. This is the case with, the, with Larissa, no doubt. Leeds United Talent Center is where the 11-year-old trains once a week, and you can see in one of our videos on the website, she's got that Leeds United logo proudly uh, displayed. She does this great video on the Cruyff turn. I'm like, I want to go outside and try a Cruyff turn right now. It was so great. It totally inspired me. The sessions focus on individual ball work as well as developing the players so they can, um, so that they are ready to meet the demands required of them in Regional Talent Center. You know, after the 40 girls' trials, she was given a place to train up with the U12 girls. So she's done so much already at such a young age and someone who is, who is uh, destined uh, for great things in, in this field. So we are so happy that we were able to highlight her and, and show her some love. So make sure you, you go find her uh, on social media, but more importantly, go check her out on our website, www.girlssoccernetwork.com. All right, that is all we have on episode 11 of Give and Go. Again, I am your host, Rotas Rodera. Thank you so much for listening to us at Girls Soccer Network. This thing is growing, man, and, and we are so grateful for your support. The constant, you know, the number of downloads is really just growing and growing and growing. So thank you so much for listening to me rant for as long as possible on some of these topics. I'm so grateful whether you're just listening to me or you're listening to it for the interview Thank you so, so much. Again, Give and Go is presented in partnership with Listening Party, the creators of Family FM. Follow the crew on Instagram at Listening Party Presents and at Canal Street Market. Once again, I have to remind you, have a happy Martin Luther King Day coming up, but also go check us out, www.girlssoccernetwork.com and our Instagram handle at girlssoccernetwork, Twitter handle at girlssoccernet. Check us out for all the latest content. Again, this is Rotas Wadera signing off. See you in two weeks. Peace.